0: Alright, so we're going to talk about four ways that God has revealed Himself and how He is reaching out to us. And today, for the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about how He reaches out to us to be near us by His creation. And, of course, if we're going to talk about creation, we got to start in Genesis. So, uh, Genesis 1-1, the very opening line of the Bible In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is how it's describing how everything was before there was anything. Right? Genesis 1-3 God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So this is how the pattern goes for every day of creation. Where God does things, and um, after everything is done, he looks at it. And he he gives it names, he labels it, and then he says, it's good. And then it says there's evening and then there was morning, and it's whatever day it was. And they follow this pattern with all of these things. Some of it is making stuff. A lot of it is separating stuff. So on day one, he separates light from darkness. Isn't that wild? He says, let there be light. And there was light. He saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. Well, the other weird part that you get in here, okay? So day one is light and dark. This is all some Bible trivia, you guys, you know. The second day is the sky and the surface. So there's waters, and he separates the waters. So he's not making land, and if if you read through it, you're like, wait a minute, what? He's not making land, there's waters, and he separates them. And the water that goes up into the sky, he calls the sky and the water. And they don't really say what, they don't say it's called the earth, they don't say, it's just the surface. And it's the end, the evening, and then there's morning... And it's the second day. And it's good. The third day, he doesn't make the earth and the sea. It says he separates them. So remember on day one, he made light. And then he separated the light and the darkness. He didn't make darkness. It doesn't explicitly say that he created darkness. So you can get a little cosmic. Okay. I'll just tell you right now, this is all going to be cosmic, okay? (laughs) Get ready. So on the third day, he separates the water, and he pushes all the land together, and he makes the land and the sea, and then he fills the land with plants. So now he's putting something into the thing that he separated It was evening, it was morning, the third day. The fourth day, he makes the stars and the sun and the moon, and he calls them by name, and it says that he put them in the sky to make seasons and to light things up at nighttime. And then it says, then there was evening, and then there was morning, the fourth day. I hope you're getting a little bit confused. I hope you're a little bit, I hope your chair has one leg that's not fully long, like the little stopper came off the bottom of the chair and it's a little wobbly. Good. Then he makes the fish and the sea creatures creatures, and he fills all that water with life. So he's got the thing that he separated the day before. Yeah, no, three days before. And now he fills it with life. And it's all good. Even those like nasty, ugly fish. Right? Good. And it's evening, and it's morning, and it's the fifth day. And evening and morning makes sense now because we've got a sun and a moon to spin around. Because Okay. Then the sixth day, God makes animals. So remember how he separated the land and the water, and then he filled the he covered the land with plants and then he filled the water with animals. Now he covers the land again with animals and he creates people. And then on and then it was and it was all good. And it was evening and it was morning and it was the end of the 6th day and on the 7th day God rested and reflected and enjoyed and looked at his work. So, we had a wedding in here a couple weeks ago, and of course the kids ask, why are those windows those colors? As many of you may have asked for many, And I said, well, there used to be stained glass windows in churches. But in the 70s, this was a lot more... Practical. This just served a much better purpose than big artwork of these big fancy people painted by hand somewhere in Germany and shipped all the way over and broken and repaired and da 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 da. But at some point, you guys, this building was done, the colors were on the windows, and you came in here and nobody did any work. You just looked at it and you were like, yes. Uh, I remember when John switched out these lights, right? When you guys switched out these lights and you were like, they're LEDs. They're going to save us a zillion dollars. And what did you guys do? You looked at those. You reflected on them. You were so happy with your lights. I mean, I'm not poking fun at it. It's good reason, right? That's what God did on the seventh day. It was done. He didn't have, oh, hold on, I just got to finish this. Oh, "Oh, let me just quit. Get this little. It was done. And he looked at the whole creation that he made, and he rested, and he looked at it, and it was good. Alright. So did you notice there's seven days in creation? You were counting along, right? I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole deep. I'm going to keep my hand on a root at the top of the rabbit hole. There's all kinds of absolutely crazy stuff about the number 7 in the book of Genesis, you guys. And it 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 don't like I said, you could spend your whole life studying all the sevens in here. What I want you to know is that in Jewish culture, they they gave moods And they gave symbols and and emotions and meanings to numbers. So that you would kind of play a little joke. And like if I said something and I had it be five words long. Or if I had it be five letters. Or if I said it five times. Then the five in that would mean like grace and mercy and forgiveness and like giving you something you don't deserve. But, it, but I wouldn't even say anything like that. But if it had five to it and you knew that I'd put five to it in, on purpose, you would know that that had that mixed in with it. So the number seven in Hebrew culture meant completeness, wholeness, perfection, and covenant commitment. So, if I said something seven times, like, okay, you know how the angels in heaven, they're around God's throne, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? In Hebrew culture, when you said something three times, it meant it was infinite. Kind of like my grandma. She'd say, oh, you're running around the house, you're going like 60. Okay, my grandma was not dumb. She knew that I was not going 60 miles an hour. Through the house. But she'd say, oh, as soon as you hear me get out the sprite, you're coming like 60 down the hall. She meant I was going really fast, right? So when the Hebrews would say three times, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're saying he's just infinitely holy. He's just so holy. Holy. When an ancient rabbi would tell a parable three times in three different ways, like Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin and of the something and of the prodigal son. I forget what the other one is. He tells three parables. He's trying to say something three times, three ways. Get this, this infinite truth of this parable. So when they say something seven times, it's, it's covenantal. It's a deep commitment It is perfect, it's complete, it's whole. There is no need to add pepper. It's just, you don't need one more handful of cheese on it. It's just the most perfect, well-rounded thing. So when God creates the heavens and the earth, what if you had the emotional secret message in it that he made all of these things in a covenant. In a dedicated promise. And he made it whole and complete and perfect. And man, just right. Just right. So, like I said, we're not going to go far down this hole. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 has 14 words, which is 7 times 2. The word God, remember I said the number 5, means grace and mercy and forgiveness and giftedness. The word God appears 5 times 7 times, so it's the perfect, gracious, what? The heavens are... I, yeah. Yeah. There's all these things that appear seven times or multiples of seven that with that other number mean other amazing things. And all of a sudden you realize that this whole section in Genesis is like a riddle, a complex riddle that Moses wrote to say a whole lot more than he's saying. Because he's slipping all kinds of grace and mercy in here with... God's name being mentioned five times, seven times, but he's slipping all these sevens in here with with the covenantal and perfect. God, oh, how can I convey that God made this world so perfect? I'm going to use every means I can to express perfection. And since everybody thinks of the number of seven as perfection, I'm going to work that in here too. So you've got grace, you've got a covenant, commitment, you have perfection, like God didn't make the world broken. He made it good. So in about the mid-1800s, the mid-1800s, as recent as I have a cast iron skillet at home, that's from before 1890. So there's a belief that is as, as new as my skillet. That's a controversy that Genesis 1 means that God created the heavens and the earth in 7 days. In 168 hours. And it has to be right. That it has to be done in, in 7 days. And I know that churches have split over this. I know PhD level pastors have been fired for teaching the meaning of Genesis instead of the 168 hours of Genesis. And so for as much time as I have a frying pan in existence, the church has been dividing over this idea that it has to be 168 hours. I want to put away that controversy. I want to put it aside. That controversy is as important today as my frying pan. Because the other message in here is that God made the world good. He created it in His covenant love for His people that He made in it. And it seems like since the mid-1800s, everybody's thrown out John 17 that says, I pray that they'd be one as you and I are one. And they've thrown out the Sermon on the Mount that you should love your brother as yourself. And we're beating each other over the head with a frying pan because we think the world was created in 168 hours. And that, that just misses the point of Genesis altogether. The Lord made it. And he made it good. He made it whole. He made it perfect so nothing else has to be added at all. It's just the way it is. Oh, man. And he was in it. And he was there and he enjoyed visiting it. He would come and visit Adam and Eve. It says he would walk with them in the cool of the day. He would be there. We can't miss that point. We can't miss that point that he loved it, he liked it, and he would visit it and be in it. The same God that made it is the God that appeared to Moses. Moses said, Show me your glory. Say your name. And God said, I'm going to show up and I'm going to say my name to you. So hide down here because you can't bear to see me when I say my name because I'm so holy. And here's what my name is this is Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, forgiving sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's God's name. So he is compassionate, merciful. He will forgive your sins. He will bring punishment. He will bring judgment. And anybody that turns to him, he will accept. And he will bring right in. That's all the stuff that Moses was trying to convey when he says the earth was made in seven days. That it was made perfect by a God whose name is compassion and mercy, forgiving for generations and generations. So when somebody says, how in the world was it evening and morning when there isn't even a sunshine until the third or fourth day? Well, the point isn't that it was evening and morning. It's that God created it so good. God created it so great. Well, how in the world can you have trees when you don't even have a sun? The sun is created the day after the trees are created. Look, it's not a biology book. Do you know that God created it and He loves you? Don't hide behind biology, disbelief of biology, and call that your disbelief in God. Because if we make this into a biology book, people can. My wife gets America's Test Kitchen magazine. That's not what it's called. Cook's Cook's Illustrated magazine. You guys, this is the best Christmas gift you can buy for yourself. I mean, for your wife. And we look in there and it says, whether to have the butter soft for your chocolate chip cookies or frozen for your chocolate chip cookies or room temperature for your chocolate chip cookies or melted for your chocolate chip cookies. And it gives you all of these crazy, it tells, it gives you like 19 different kinds of green beans for your green bean casserole and which ones to pick and why and how to choose. And it is scientific. And if she used that book as a moral guide to teach her morals, then all the work of Cooks Illustrated would be wasted. Because the whole point of it is to help her cook really good cookies for me. (laughs) Let's not beat people over the head with the Bible that Moses wrote to tell us about God's compassion and his love, and his mercy, but Moses was not a biologist, and that's okay. Genesis chapter two is awesome. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work, That he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. God is a God who rests among all the pagan nations that the Jews were living among and traveling into. Their gods were bloodthirsty and demanded hard work and demanded service from their followers, or they opened you know, kill them with this or kill them with that or bring plague or bring... God wants you to rest. Isn't that totally... This is a totally different concept of, of all the religions of their day. Um, it was It was new to the Jewish people as they were coming out of Egypt and into the promised land to not do anything for one day a week and just chill and rest. Wow. Even better, look over the past week and reflect on it and look at what you made and look at what you did last week and reflect on that and think, wow, those lights are awesome. I'm glad we installed those. I washed my car. It looks shiny. I'm glad my car is shiny. Reflect. God puts that into things because that's His character, compassionate, merciful, He doesn't want us always working all the time, wearing ourselves out. Isn't it wild? Good, good, good shows up all over the place. So some people say you have to know evil to know good. That's not what the Bible says. Because here we're two chapters into the Bible, and we haven't had a mention of evil. But we've had a lot of mentions of good. A lot of things have been really good. God's looked at them and said that they're good. He took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord told the man, You can eat everything in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you will die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. Notice he didn't say it's bad, he didn't say it's evil. He said it's not good. God is so awesome. It's not that he's dumb. It's not that he's uninformed. But when there's something that is not good, it's just not good. It's not evil. It's not bad. And so he makes Eve. So now you have Adam and Eve. And they are... This is what Adam says. This is a bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh... She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Again, not a biology book. But what if we, the church, could show that we believe this is true? What if divorce wasn't the same in the church as it is outside of the church? And we spend as much time showing that this is true—that my wife is so much a part of me that I don't even have to argue about who created what or how many days or any of that, because the example of our marriage is so attractive that people are like, "Dang! I don't even care. I want to be—I want to have a marriage like the Sullivan's. That's the best argument in the world, and and it beats any other." Controversy, doesn't it? I just I I love it when truth totally overwhelms controversy and when Jesus just becomes the center and you just you just love Jesus because he's he's that's why he did all this stuff. So God doesn't want to make robots because God is loving and he is compassionate and merciful and forgiving. So he doesn't want to just force his creation, all of you elk, go here all of you elephants, go here. Man and woman, go here. He, he has this abundance of love and freedom, and so he puts this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they have this tree, they will know that there's differences between good and evil, and they'll, they'll get wrapped up in all of these controversies I've mentioned today, because all controversy is rooted in what's good and what's evil. But then there's this other tree that they can eat from. And it's the tree of life. And the tree of life gives you life. It it makes you alive. It gives you the presence of God. Because there's other stuff in here where God is life. God is the one putting, he puts his breath of life into man. And so God gives them this freedom of you can live here and I'm not gonna direct every one of your thoughts, I'm gonna let you be and don't eat this tree. And by not eating that tree, they are free to show that they want to be full of life and they want to be near God. And of course we know what happens, they eat of the tree. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was pleasing to the eye. And it was delicious to the taste. You know what's wild? Is when God made that, He said it was good. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't an evil thing that God made. It was part of His creation that was good and perfect and wonderful. And part of that perfection was our freedom to choose Him or not. Part of that perfection and that wholeness, and you don't have to add anything, is our His love for us that He doesn't make us robots and that we have a free choice to make. Whether we want to worship Him sincerely with all of our hearts... Or if we want to indulge in this thing that's really pleasing to our eyes and tasteful to our mouth, and hey, it gives me wisdom and it makes me smarter, and now I know what's good and what's bad. But it was enough for them to just know what was good. They were whole and complete. They didn't lack a thing. In my uh, biblical counseling training, there's a whole section where we talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And people live by the tree of life or they live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can, eat, um, you can eat off of that tree of knowledge of good and evil today where you live your life according to this is right and this is wrong. And that person's right and that person's wrong. Because I know what good and evil is and that's evil. And that's not what God wants us to do. God never wanted us to eat from that tree. He wants us to have discernment, to be wise, to know what's good. Right? Isn't that wild? To think that through. That God wants us to know what's good. But He doesn't want us to participate in judgment of what's good and what's evil. He wants us to eat from the tree of life, which is Jesus. That's why the Pharisees had so much trouble listening to Jesus. Because they were, they were having a buffet at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were eating so deeply of trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's the best commandment. Who is my neighbor? When are you going to bring about the kingdom? Should I pay taxes to Caesar or should I not? All of those were tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And every time Jesus confounded them and said, come to me. Follow me. Get to know me. Because I'm the way and the truth and the life. I'm the way to the Father. I can show you the right way. And so when we live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we live by law, we live by, did I do this right, did I do this wrong, now I'm condemned, now I feel bad. When we live by the tree of life, we have freedom and we have victory. I don't have to commit this sin. I don't have to, to, to solve my problem or solve my ache or solve my pain with this sin to feel better because Jesus has made me complete and He's close to me. I don't have to do a whole bunch of things to make God like me because when I go and I eat from the tree of life, when I draw near to Jesus, I realize Jesus really likes me. He really loves you a lot. And it's not because of anything you did. But God knew that when He put that tree, He knew that they would not make the best choice. Because remember when He made it, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, merciful, forgiving. Why does God have to be forgiving if nobody ever does anything wrong? forgiving is part of God's name because he knew they would do wrong. He makes this promise. Uh, There's only four chapters of the Bible that don't have any reference or mention to sin. Four chapters. The first two and the last two. (laughs) So Genesis 3, oh, it's not in the first two, you know there's going to be sin mentioned, that's where the fall is. God makes this promise He says, I'm going to put enmity, I'm going to put aggression and a fight between you, Satan, and humans. Between your offspring and her offspring. So the whole lineage of the devil, all of his demons, whatever, are always going to be fighting against humankind. And humankind will always be fighting against them. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God is talking to the devil and he's saying, you're going to nip at mankind's feet. You're going you're to be a pain, basically. You're going to be a nuisance. But one, one of the descendants of Eve, one of the descendants in this line of people that I've created here, one of them is going to smash your head. Is going to crush your skull and annihilate you. We had an awesome conversation this week. Daddy, what does oblivion mean? Yes, oblivion. I get to use that word today. The devil, God says the devil is going to nip at the heels and be a nuisance to mankind. But one is going to come from mankind and... And I know the he's are weird in here, but it's, it's a, a descendant of you, Eve, is going to crush your skull and send you into oblivion. That is the promise God makes in Genesis 3. We don't even know how old the world is at this point. We don't know how many days it took to create it. We don't know how long Adam and Eve hung out before they sinned. Um, you can look up church history people arguing about this for about 70 years. You, so the 2020s are not the first time there's been silly controversies in the church over unknowable things. We don't know how long it took, but God knew that He would offer forgiveness and that He would send somebody to crush the skull of the devil and to win forever. Forever. The old rabbis taught that there were seven things that existed in creation before anything was created. I'm not going to go through that, but notice they got the number seven again because God is compassionate and merciful. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. He was the Lamb that was slain before Genesis 1 happened. So God, who is compassionate and merciful, forgiving for thousands of generations, when He created everything good, He created it with forgiveness and healing and restoration built in before we ever came on the scene and did stupid stuff. He was ready for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for revealing your love and your compassion to us in the way that you created everything. And I pray, Lord, that we would take this deeply to heart. That we would take it deeply to heart that you created the whole world good. That something bad happened and creation fell. And then you made your promise that you would win. And one of your main tools would be forgiveness and compassion and mercy. We want to walk in that this week, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 84 together.